Today's reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 27, verses 1 through 4 and 15 through 23, as well as the book of, um, rather, chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. The word of the Lord. So this uh, fall, we're following the, the narrative lectionary, which is a four-year cycle of readings that was developed by uh, the good folks over at Luther Seminary in St. Paul. And um, the point of the narrative lectionary, I mean, it, every year you get to Advent, and then in the new year you, you go with the gospel um, through Easter. But the point is, especially in the fall, um, to get at some of the great stories 
in the Old Testament. And not just in kind of little snippet, three, four verse form, but, but to really holistically kind of engage with these great texts. And so uh, we started this a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, it, go to, go, we're like SoundCloud rappers here at the church. Go to our SoundCloud, and you can hear all of our past sermons. They're, 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 they're right there. And so started a couple of weeks ago with Matt kicking it off, Genesis chapter 1. Right there we are at the highest of heights. You know, God in all of uh, his universal glory uh, creating the heavens and the earth and and all that fills them and human beings as kind of the crowning achievement of that. And so we we really start off on a high note. But then we go from the highest of heights to almost the lowest of lows because, you know, we we go from this universal glory and grandeur to last week the, the messiness of the particular as God is working through one specific family, and, and last week we, we dealt with the text that, that had the near sacrifice of Isaac. And when we look at this one specific family that God has chosen to work through, to bless all the families of the earth, we can say that this family is like every other family, only more so. There is jealousy, intrigue, deception, favoritism, sibling rivalry, all of the good stuff. I think, you know, honestly, uh, all of the biblical patriarchs, but really especially starting uh, with, with Jacob's story, you know, this could be a soap opera because his life is, is filled with almost endless drama. And in fact, the, the story of Jacob and then, and then his family as it goes into um, his sons and especially his son Joseph, the story of Jacob's family takes up from Genesis 25 to Genesis 50. That's the story right there. And so really, the second half of the book of Genesis, we could call the book of Jacob. And Jacob, as we are going to see, he himself, he's complicated. He's like the rest of us, only more so. And so this morning, as we, as we look at these two stories, we're going to examine a, a key concept that, that drives them and, and ties them together. And it's so important to, especially the early part of Jacob's story, and that is this concept of, of blessing and of Jacob's desire to, to get a blessing by hook or by crook. And so first we're going to look at, all right, what, what is this blessing? What, why, why, what, like, what is this blessing that's so important? Second, how does he go about trying to secure it for himself? And lastly, looking at the God who blesses. So first, what's this blessing? Why is it so important? So Isaac tells Esau, his son, his, his firstborn son, he says, I'm old. My health is failing. I don't know when I'm going to die. Now he's actually not that close to death because he ends up living at least another 20 years, but he says, I'm old, my health is failing, and so he wants his son Esau to go out, hunt, fix him some game so he can make him his favorite meal, and the text tells us, uh, and Isaac says, so my soul can bless you before he dies. And Rebekah, who is Isaac's wife and the mother of Esau and Jacob, she overhears this and she devises a plot with her other son, Jacob, to intervene so he can receive this blessing from his father instead of Esau. So here's some helpful background information to, to kind of make sense with what's going on here before we get into more detail about what, 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 what this blessing might be. So first is that Esau and Jacob are twins. And when they were in utero, they were struggling so much in Rebekah's womb that, that it says that she inquired of the Lord, God, what's happening in here? And God says, well, you know what? It's, it, you have twins. It's not just two twins. It's two nations inside of you. And and here's the key part. The Lord tells her that the older will serve the younger. And this upends the ancient custom of 
primogeniture, which means that the oldest son really occupies kind of this, this place of leadership within the family because they're the one who's going to take on, um, you know, becoming really the heir. And so they're going to become the patriarch of the family when their father passes away. And, and this is where this notion of a double, in, a, por- a double portion or inheritance comes, that, that the property is divided, you know, between the brothers and the family, but the oldest gets, gets twice as much as what his siblings might. And so we see... Um, that the regular pattern in Scripture, though, is that God doesn't work according to ordinary human, you know, customs and conventions. Just before, Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And the promise doesn't go to Ishmael, but to Isaac, even though Ishmael was born first. And the promise does not go to Esau, but to Jacob. And we see with the story of David, it's not his seven older brothers who get the anointing of God. It's the runt of the family, David. So Esau happened to be born first. I mean, just by a few moments. But when he was born, there was Jacob grabbing at his heel. And thus we see that these two brothers, they were were, were rivals. They were bitter rivals from the very beginning. Esau was first born, and he was his father's first choice but he wasn't God's chosen. And this part of the story, their story, Esau and Jacob's story together, wasn't included in our reading, but famously, if you know Scripture at all, earlier Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for what uh, the King James Version calls a mess of pottage. Basically some stew, because he was really hungry. And the author of Genesis, who, you know, is writing out uh, the, the story of the great biblical patriarchs and, and even of, of human beings before that. And, and the author of Genesis almost never editorializes. And there's a lot of bad behavior that happens. But, but, but it's just narrated out for us. There's very little edit- editorial commentary that's given to the events that occur in the Bible, even the bad behavior that happens. But, but this is an exception. When, when Esau does that, when he sells his birthright for a mess of pottage, uh, the author of Genesis says, and Esau despised his birthright. So here we have these two brothers. They're bitter rivals. The older brother shamefully dispenses with his birthright, and his younger brother is constantly striving after what doesn't belong to him in virtue of the order of his birth, but, but by virtue of God's choice, which, which God told to Rebekah. And not only that, but Scripture says, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so let's just stop and just be honest and note that this, what a messed up family this is. We've got brothers who are bitter rivals. They hate each other. We've got parents who have gone ahead and they've picked favorites. We've got this bumbling, uh, thoughtless, careless, impulsive older brother and, and a conniving, scheming, ambitious younger brother. Now you've got to think at this point, God is wondering, now why did I choose to work with this particular family? They're like us, only more so. But let's get back to that question of this blessing. What is it? And, and as we go through Genesis, this concept of blessing, it, it's just this central theme to all of it. First and foremost, blessing has to do with God endowing something with the, the power to produce life and to fill, fulfill its purpose and bringing forth more life. In creation, God blesses the animals. God blesses humankind saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So blessing is about the endowment of the capacity to bring forth abundant life and for that life to flourish and that life to multiply. 
Another dimension of blessing is that it's connected to God's promises. God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So blessing then, it's a word that's spoken that connects the person receiving it to the power of God and the promises of God. Now if you go on uh, Instagram and search, you know, you can see people who are hashtag blessed, right? Uh, that, 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 that's how we kind of encounter the word blessed now. And, and oftentimes it's uh, used ironically and insincerely. I would say that that would characterize my use of the hashtag blessed. But when people are using it, really what they're, they're, they're sh- trying to show is they're living their best life, right? When someone is hashtag blessed, it's usually a picture of them with their family, you know, or uh, in, in, in the family's not fighting, the family's happy. Or if they're hashtag blessed, they're with their significant other. Or if they're hashtag blessed, they've got an awesome house. Or if they're hashtag blessed, they're on an amazing vacation. Now, I do not want to heap scorn upon the hashtag blessed. And I do believe it, 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 that it's, it can be a really sincere expression of gratitude. I mean, if you're living your best life, like, that's awesome. I'm not mad at you. And it's not just a, you know, pious pretext for showing off like a humble brag or something like that. It can be that, but it's not always that. But the kind of blessedness, the sort of, uh, here I am, living my best life, look at me, it's not what Genesis is talking about. Because blessing in Genesis, as we see it used, it's a word that, yes, connects the, the, the blessed to God's power and promises, but it happens within the context of, of a world that is filled with uncertainty and difficulty. You know, even, even from creation, we know about the precariousness of life. And so God's blessing that carries life forward leads to the the miracle of existence. Uh, Noah and his sons, they receive a blessing from God in a world that has just been submerged beneath floodwaters. Abraham gets God's blessing when he has answered a call to leave his homeland and his kindred and and his house, his country, to go to an uncertain place where God is going to show him. He's blessed by God when, when his hand is stayed at the moment of sacrifice. Isaac is blessed at the death of his father, Abraham, the great patriarch. Rebecca herself is blessed by her sisters and family when she leaves them to marry Isaac, a man who she's never met. So to be blessed is to receive a word of affirmation, a word of certainty that you need when you are at your most unsure of yourself and of God. But there's more. Because I've said, yes, this word of blessing, it connects you to God's promises and power. And, and that word connects is a nice kind of squishy word. But what we see actually here in, in, in this passage is that it's more than a connection. There's a conveyance of God's power and promises. That like something is really happening with these words that are spoken. And here we modern people go, okay, that kind of sounds like a magic spell. I'm not really in, into that. You know, words do not work that way. But all the characters in our story, they, they treat this word of blessing as more than mere words. Look at them. Isaac, Esau, Rebekah, Jacob, all of them believe and act as if once this word of blessing is spoken, it can't be taken back. Its effects are irreversible. It's like, you know, when you pull back an arrow. Once you shoot it, like there's no grabbing it and sort of putting it back in there. There's no putting the... the, the, the the proverbial toothpaste back in the tube. 
And so we object. We go, okay, you know, clearly if a blessing is given under false pretenses or, or if it's pretextual, it isn't valid. It didn't work. You, you can take those kind of words back. And so in this instance, I think, as much as any other, we are invited to enter into what uh, theologian Karl Barth called the strange new world that's in the Bible. And the beliefs of these characters, it's, they're, they're not primitive. They're just operating according to a logic that's different, though not completely different than our own. Because we're like them. We understand that once words are spoken, they can't be taken back. And how many of us have said things that we wished we could take back or heard words from someone else that we wished that they could take back? So we agree with them. We, we too understand that, that words, when they are spoken, have power. They have power to really build us up and they have, have power to tear us down. And, and they have power to, to create new realities. I mean, as a, as a wedding officiant, I'm all too aware of this power. When I say at the end of a ceremony, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And so the, the promises that have been spoken, the symbols that have been exchanged, have actually done something new in the world. They're not just mere words. They have creative, constitutive power. And so really what we're objecting to is, is not that words can't be taken back, is, is not that words themselves have, have power. I think what we're objecting to is this idea that, that words spoken under false circumstances must stand. That something like a blessing can be stolen. It'd be like if at a wedding, you know, uh, another woman, you know, came and knocked out the bride and then put on the gown and covered herself on the veil. And then at the end of the ceremony, when you're like, you may kiss the bride and there's the reveal. And it's like, oh, it's not the person I thought I was marrying. And if everyone was like, wow, too bad for you because you said all the promises. Like, you said I do. You're married now. Like, we can't take it back. And ironically, you know, them's the breaks. Ironically, this is basically what happens to Jacob when he, he, he has circumstances exactly like this happen. And can't take it back in his case. But for us, we go, no, that's absurd. But I think in this instance, actually what's happening is, is that the blessing hasn't been stolen. It's just that Isaac has been tricked into doing the right thing, what he was supposed to do, in spite of himself. Because according to the word of the Lord that was spoken to Rebekah, it was Jacob to whom the blessing belonged. And, and according to the, the logic of the narrative with Esau selling his birthright, you know, he sold his right to be blessed to his brother. And so at the end of the story, Isaac doesn't say like, do, you know, we need a do-over here or take back his words because he realizes that this blessing wasn't something that he spoke, you know, you know from himself. They weren't his own words. He was merely mediating a divine word, speaking the word of the Lord, which he can't take back. So I think that's what blessing is. It's, it's a divine word spoken in this instance by, uh, through a human being that conveys God's promise and God's power through an affirmation that one will experience full and abundant life that will carry God's purposes forward. So a blessing is a, is a divine word spoken through a human that conveys God's promise and power through an affirmation that one will experience full and abundant life and that will carry God's purposes forward. So next, let's look at how Jacob tries to get the blessing. And behind all of this, you know, trying to steal the blessing and trying, and trying to trick his father is the painful reality of the relationship, or we should say just the lack of relationship between Jacob and Isaac. What does Scripture tell us? Isaac loved Esau. Not a word about Jacob. He didn't have any time for Jacob. You know, Jacob was kind of the mama's boy of the family. 
And so behind this desire, behind Jacob's desire for blessing, we can feel the desire that he has for a word of affirmation from his father. To hear things from his father that he's never heard before. And so let that be a lesson to us parents, fathers especially, but mothers too, about how important our words of blessing are to our children. You know, it can be so easy to just not say anything to them. It can be so easy to offer empty words or perfunctory words. You know, our our blessings can become kind of a participation trophy, empty words of affirmation. Or it can be easy, depending on your child, to do nothing but condemn and curse instead of bless. And I think what we see here in this story is that our children are desperate for a word of blessing from us, for us to see them to regard them, to love them, to tell them particular reasons why it is that they are a sign of God's blessing to us. And the wonderful news is that as parents, it's never too late, even if our children are grown. But also, you know, so there's kind of stepping into the parental role, but we can also easily put ourselves in Jacob's shoes, and we can feel his yearning to be blessed by a father who's never favored him. And we can relate to, even if we're not condoning, right? This is one of those fine distinctions that sometimes gets lost when we're explaining something versus justifying it. That's not what's happening here. We can relate to, even if we can't condone, the way that he tries to get this blessing, which is this pretending to be someone he's not. And with the help of his mother, you know, he is made to uh, feel and to smell and even through the preparation of food, taste like his brother. And his brother's cooking. The one thing he can't disguise is his voice. Now, not only does he try to be someone he's not, but he, but he lies and he claims that he's someone he's not. He claims to be Esau. And he seemingly gets away with it. But I think not, not totally. More on that in a bit later. But, but I just say, you know, do you relate at all to Jacob? to seeking words of affirmation and blessing from others by trying to become someone that you aren't, by hiding who you are, what you believe, your hopes, your aspirations. And how many of us have bought in at some point or another in, in, in our lives this, this false belief that, that who we are isn't good enough? So we've got to pretend. We've got to wear someone else's clothes We've got to take up someone else's name. We've got to tell lies to get the affirmation, the blessing, the love that we want. And at the end of the day, Jacob does get a blessing from Isaac. But I I think the blessing that he gets here in chapter 27, it wasn't included in the reading, but the, the blessing he gets here, it's not the real blessing. The exact words weren't included, but but one commentator said this blessing, this first blessing in chapter 27, it's totally different from any of the other blessings that we see in the Old Testament. It's totally different from from what had come before or even comes after. Um, You know, a commentator said that it was no different than a kind of a standard pagan blessing, kind of a health, wealth, prosperity gospel blessing. That's, That's what's given. Basically saying like, I hope you have a lot of food and a lot of wine and a lot of people to serve you has nothing to do with the patriarchal blessings of land and children and the nations. So the the blessing that Jacob got from Isaac when he was pretending to be someone else wasn't actually the blessing that he needed. And the real blessing comes at the beginning of chapter 28, right before he goes off on, on this journey and has this dream. 
when there's no more hiding, no more deception, no more pretending. It was there at the beginning of that chapter. It says, then Isaac called to Jacob for the first time. He calls for his son, and he blessed him, and he directed him, and he said, you must not take a wife from among the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And then he says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. That's echoing what we hear even in the creation story. That you may become a company of peoples, the promise to Abraham. And may he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus, Isaac sent Jacob away with a real blessing. That's the real deal. It echoes what God has said before in creation and then to Abraham and Isaac, and thus it reveals that, that what, what, what the blessing he needs is not a blessing for the sake of himself and his own posterity, but for his posterity, for the sake of the world. And it continues that theme in Scripture that when God blesses, he blesses so that we can be a blessing. That's one of the key principles of Scripture, that we are blessed to be a blessing. Which brings us at long last and, 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 and too briefly to uh, this part of the story that's maybe the most famous, maybe not, but, but this passage that's referred to as Jacob's Ladder. So Jacob goes off by himself in search of a wife. Scripture says he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So here's where Jacob is at this point. Uh, the text says he's in a certain place, which means the place was so obscure that it, it didn't even get a name. It was just called place. And we're also aware that he's by himself. There's been no traveling party to come with him, no companions. You know, he, he has a stone for a pillow. And on top of all of that, the reason for this journey, yes, it's ostensibly to go get a, get, 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 a, get a wife, but it's also that his brother doesn't kill him. So he's on the lam. He's like a fugitive. His brother wants to kill him. He's alone. He's in the middle of nowhere, a place called place. And he has nothing, not even a pillow for his head. And so it's in that place, in those circumstances, that he has his dream. And so God meets Jacob at his lowest point. And I think maybe that's when God just had to meet Jacob, because otherwise Jacob was a very resourceful, creative, and crafty person. He relied on his mother or his own cleverness, ambition to get what he wanted and to get over on people. But here in the wilderness, all of that, all the opportunity for that has been stripped away. And God appears to him in a dream, and in that dream he saw what looked like a ladder. And that's a very poetic word. I understand why the translators keep it. But it's actually something more like a ramp or a big giant staircase he sees uh, uh, up to heaven. And, and God's messengers are, are ascending and descending. And, and uh, this vision is supposed to give an idea that they're kind of going out to do God's purposes um, in the world. They're about going to be about God's work. And so uh, what was invisible to the naked eye in, in, in his dream, Jacob sees that, that God is at work in the world, which is something that his own plotting, his own planning, his own scheming had always failed to take into account, that there was another power at work. And that this God who had seemed so distant, in fact, when he's talking to, when he's deceiving his father, he says, you know, the, the, and he's like, how did you come back with the food so quick? And he says, the Lord your God gave me success. 
Not the Lord my God, the Lord your God. God is far away from Jacob before this. But here he sees that God standing. It's ambiguous in the text. It's standing beside the ladder or standing beside him. It could be either. And so this God who had been very far away from his mind, his imagination, his heart, is now right there next to him. And God speaks. And what would Jacob, what would we expect? What would Jacob expect God to say to him now? You've really been a jerk. Like, what have you done? You took my name in vain. You tried to steal this blessing. You've been scheming. You've been lying. Look where you are now. Like, you've kind of gotten what you deserved. You scoundrel. And he would have deserved that. But instead of this recitation of his shameful past and his past failures, which he probably does not need to be reminded of at this point, right? Jacob instead hears the, the hopeful presentation of an alternative future. And so God blesses him in that moment and repeats many of the same promises that he's made before to Abraham and Isaac. But God also adds words that are not just boilerplate. They're not just copy and pasted from these other blessings. They speak specifically to Jacob in his own circumstances. God says, behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. So I'm with you. I'll protect you. I'll bring you back. I won't leave you. Those are the specific promises that God makes to Jacob. And those are the same promises that God makes to us in Jesus Christ. This story about the dream, uh, in the very beginning of John's gospel, Jesus is calling disciples, and he calls Philip, and then Philip goes to Nathaniel, and he says, you have to meet this guy. He's a prophet. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, oh, Nazareth? Does anything good ever come out of Nazareth? And then Jesus meets him. He says, oh, hey, Nathaniel, he's like, Here, you know, here's a guy you can't pull one over on. He says, before Philip even called you, I saw you under that fig tree. Now, who knows what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree, but that was enough to really impress him uh, 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 that Jesus was the real deal. And so he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then Jesus continues in this conversation. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We're right back in Genesis chapter 28. And so Jesus' claim is that we, when we encounter him, we are seeing the same thing that Jacob saw in his dream. Jesus himself as the gateway between heaven and earth. So he's the God that's not far away, but the God coming down to us. You know, Every other religion, if they establish some kind of stairway to heaven or staircase, you know, it's up to you to, to go through the path of, path of ascent, to get up to God. But here Christianity has God coming all the way down to us. And we see that Jesus is clearly the fulfillment of these special promises to Jacob. Right? I will be with you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God, God with us. I will protect you. Right? He's the one who protects us from all evil and, and condemnation. I will bring you back here. He's the good shepherd who leaves the 99 behind to seek after the one. And I will not leave you until I fulfill what I promised. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us and to be with us always to the end of the age. And so the God we know in Jesus meets us when we are at our lowest in order to lift us to his highest. And so just as God met Jacob at, in the worst place in his life, the worst time when he was alone and running and, and, and scared and it seemed like things couldn't get any worse, 
that just tells us that if God can meet Jacob there, he can surely meet us there too. And finally, the grace of God means that we are freed from a past that we cannot change, mistakes we can't undo. But we are invited into a future in which we can be changed. And I think the best news of all in this passage is that God works in and through really messed up people. God's made a covenant with them. They will not break. And the truth of the matter is this. You know, we can look down our noses at Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob, but the truth is we are just like them. I think only more so. And in Christ, we can be just as blessed. Only more so. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me.